Hello, hello, and welcome to the podcast, Kate Kennedy from Be There in Five. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. I was just telling you, I feel like I'm among TikTok celebrity, <laughs> and I'm honored to be on your podcast. Slay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so excited to have you on because when I first started getting into podcasts, and you know, you always ask friends for suggestions. Your podcast far and away was um, the number one suggestion. And I think the first one I listened to was an episode you did talking about how people on TikTok will try to diagnose you with things. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, talk therapy. Uh, I had a therapist on and I was like, hey, so is it chill that I'm diagnosing myself with like disassociation at all hours of the night? <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and that was it, a fun one. It was a great concept too. And you're podcast covers pop culture topics, but I'm sure if I had to think of one word to describe kind of what you talk about and how you go about conversations, it would definitely be the word thoughtful. Because I feel like sometimes you do deep dives on things or you pick apart observations. Do you consider your podcast pop culture or do you kind of consider it trending topics and everything in between? I think it depends on your definition of pop culture. Um, Because yeah, when I'm like deep diving uh, sorority culture or like being a bridesmaid people are like that's not pop culture but I I kind of expand that definition to zeitgeist almost like yeah. the the thoughts and things and attitudes beliefs objects media entertainment culture that comprise a certain like spirit of a time and a lot of what I cover is kind of like nostalgic or when I like millennials were kind of surrounding college aged or you know I'll try to like cover things that are in our orbit but maybe aren't entertainment forward like an e-news would cover like I don't think e-news cares what the Scala sisters are up to but like I do (laughs) so it's kind of it it, it depends it completely depends but I think what happened is over the years I got a little bit uh, less engaged with like celebrity gossip just to keep myself kind of interested and and thoughtful like you said trying to dive into things. And I thought there were more interesting pockets of our existence to dive into. So I try to pick things that are popular, like TikTok mental health videos, and then understand what it means and uh, how they impact us. Yeah. I I mean, you're right, too. Pop culture used to be who's wearing what on the red carpet. But now we almost kind of have like discourse pop culture where people talk Mm -hmm. about gaslighting or quiet quitting or things like that. And these phrases, they're on the news, but they're also things that you see on Twitter. It's like this weird blend of like, I don't know, maybe it's just the fact that everyone's got an opinion now being on social media for the last like 20 years. But there is, you know, pop culture with celebrities. And then there's trending topics that like everybody talks about, but it's not the news. Right. And I kind of love that this evolution of the world because it puts such significance and importance to the the culture of our everyday and the culture of our existence in a way we used to put on a pedestal only for celebrities to think was interesting. But now it's interesting if you're a kid who likes corn. Now it's it's like democratized (laughs) across like everything. So I I love being able to celebrate our lives in that way and find importance in these small things. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. And I mean, like corn, I think that kid would kill someone for some corn. He, what a curse to now that for the rest of his life, like he's going to be having corn gifts and like he'll never he'll probably get so sick of corn, develop this like PTS like D reaction to it. I already feel that way when I hear the song. I, I don't I, if I'm being honest, I hate to, uh, you know, I don't want to shit on a six year old's routine, but not my favorite. <laughs> But you wonder if, like, Noah from The Ellen Show, I'm like, just everywhere he go, people are like, apparently, you know, you can't get, it's hard to 
depart from your point of entry into the public square. <laughs> yeah, and what I always find really fun is those people who are the memes, you know, the success kid on the beach or the crazy girlfriend with the eyes. You see pictures of what they look like now and you're like, oh my God, that meme that I've used six times, that person's actually now... 41 and they have a family in like Kentucky right. you're like what it's just crazy <laughs> I know I totally agree I, I think we're in a really interesting era of the information age that it empowers normal people and um, I think it's so entertaining to dissect it and I almost think of it as like you know when you were growing up and between friend groups or like at sleepovers you almost had the Miss Mary Mac or concentration or yes. you know Miss Susie had a steamboat you have like hand slapping games it's like the things that we care about that aren't really culturally like originated anywhere beyond that we all just know and talk about them and it's almost those like little things of lore these like inside jokes we can have that we would have inside friend groups that's like democratized to the general public and we have access to so many pockets of being and I think it's cool totally I know I think a friend of mine we were once trying to figure out how is it that everyone across the country knew the same hand games and we were like it must have happened through summer camp because then like one mm. kid from one school would spread it to another and that like must have been the connection because otherwise you know why were we all afraid of quicksand like it just doesn't make sense right right yeah. why why does everybody know the glorious sensation of crack an egg on your head let the oak run down <laughs> <laughs> and feeling the stab a knife in your back and you're like also no. kind of grisly <laughs> <laughs> super grisly well today we are going to be talking about a very specific pop culture topic that I am dying to pick your brain on because I know that you have opinions on Taylor Swift I have opinions on Taylor Swift I think everybody does but something that I really wanted to kind of pick your brain about is this thing that I've been thinking about with Taylor Swift for years and it's this idea of is Taylor Swift a victim or is she a badass and you know who knows this lady is a stranger to basically all of us and everyone's <laughs> shades of gray but I find it really interesting that sometimes I have quotes from her speeches and verbiage and lyrics where I feel like half of the time Taylor Swift is presenting herself as someone where it's always been an uphill battle for her and she's had to struggle and she's had to do all of this stuff and face all of this criticism. But sometimes even in the same speeches, then she'll be saying, and I'm on top and I was the youngest person to do this. Like, and, you know, I did every single thing myself. So I feel like it's confusing as someone hearing these speeches being like, wait, do I feel bad for you or am I jealous of you or am mm. I a little bit of both? So before we get into it, First of all, if you had to cast a vote and it had to be very black or white, would you say Taylor Swift, victim or badass? Oh, God. Um, badass. Yeah. I, I think in general, I want people to be more defined by their triumphs. Um, but, and I think she is a great deal of positive contribution. But you said it had to be black or white, so I guess I won't explain further, but... That would I would skew that direction based on her accomplished career and accolades alone. Yeah, and being, I think, she, like, maybe I'm biased, but I would say she's number one pop star in the world. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, like, just a handful of heavy hitters that are really at a level where they can experiment with genre, category. They don't, I mean, reputation, she was like, yeah, I'm not doing interviews. Like, nobody can do that. Yes. <laughs> That's how you know you're at the top, is you don't have to do a press tour for an album to like hit number one or whatever yes so I'm curious about um your journey as a Taylor Swift fan it's interesting how each era 
kind of brought a different time for people to become a Taylor Swift fan. So like I, I was in at the beginning, Fearless Speak Now, that was kind of the time to be rooting for an underdog, right? Like mm-hmm. Taylor was new, so exciting. If you came in at the red era, you were probably really interested in everyone she was dating, you know, Harry, John Mayer, Jake Gyllenhaal. If you came in at the 1989 era, that was a lot of girl squad discourse. Reputation was obviously the Kim Kardashian, Kanye cancellation. Lover was like political, queer Taylor Swift, rainbows, and then Evermore and Folklore was she's in the woods, she's a true artist, she's a poet type of era. So when did you become a fan and have you like felt differently about her through the eras? I mean, that was quite the syllabus. Should you like have a NYU <laughs> class about this? I tried to teach a Taylor Swift class um, in my college and I submitted a proposal. It was going to be a one credit class and they didn't let me, but an attempt was made. You know, academia, I mean, they just gave Taylor Swift a doctorate this year, so they're just a little bond. I know. <laughs> that speech was an example of something I would say is not the most badass, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, okay, I I kind of, I mean, I remember, like, listening to Tim McGraw in the bathtub in my, like, first college apartment, just being like, holy, like, my world was turned upside down by the what I couldn't pinpoint then as the very sensory tangible lyricism lyricism of kind of an underdog girl with marked by a longing for love and I think that a lot of us in our youth could relate and I certainly did and I mean yeah fearless was the soundtrack to my later college years and I loved speak now and I loved red but I was a casual fan in the way that I loved top 40 radio when I think about a fan of somebody I think the difference is do you know their non-singles and listen to their album songs or do you just know like their body of work that has been released as radio singles and I liked her albums a lot but I was way more aware of her radio singles I think until red and that was just a big moment for us all and that we're, you know, owner proprietor of the Lonely Hearts Club. And um, so that's when I got, I think, really into the lyricism. When 1989 came around, I was so ready for that pop pivot. Um, I I was all in. I wasn't even bothered by the narr- like media narratives or squad goals that many people were. I actually say, like, bring Tay America back full force. I loved getting to see her that much. <laughs> that was the hot, like, it It was Christmas for me in July. Yes. Like, those Instagrams were fantastic. Has there ever been more of a collective feeling of FOMO for a place you'd never get invited for a person you've never met? The matching bathing suits, the floaties that were blown up, and it just, like, I think everyone collectively got very excited. And you got to see, like, Blake Lively pregnant, and there was Tom Hiddleston with the I Heart TS. Oh, God. Like, it was an event every year. We'll be talking about that 50 years from now. The I Heart TS tanked up, I think. I will be. Um, I lo- So that era, I think, is when my engagement got next level because – she was so present in the media that I got to know her as a person a little bit better. She started skewing her speech, even though it was still not evolved. She was skewing her speech a, a smidge more feminist just to be like, I said I wasn't a feminist before. I didn't know that that just meant equality or pointing out that Ed Sheeran and Bruno Mars aren't um, targeted for having conf- confessional lyrics about exes. And she was. So I remember being like, oh, she's I really liked her um, presence in music and that whole era um, but then I found Tumblr, T Swift, and like Kaler Tumblr in like probably 2016, 2017, and I was never the same. <laughs> I never knew to look 
so deeply into what she was doing. Yeah. And then when I once I realized her work is but a treasure map designed to get you to consume more product, I was like, this woman is a genius. Yes. The the I still remember buying the physical albums and even though I had seen lists online, right, of like here's what the secret messages say, like a little detective, I would be writing <laughs> it out. And the concept of Easter eggs, everything, it's so fun and maybe it is this you know crazy marketing PR machine but it does feel really authentic to her I think it is authentic to her like I think it's kind of I don't know I mean she has less like party girl energy and more like board game girl energy and I think a lot of us do too and I it she's made consumption of product fun yeah, I remember back when she was on MySpace, there was some blog post that she had written saying that she had just finished a show and everybody was going out partying, but she was like staying at on the tour bus to watch the History Channel. And I was like, yeah, that 100% <laughs> tracks. Like she is watching the History Channel with her cats. And I don't know. And like you said there, there's also been interesting quotes. And once again, I feel like this kind of goes back to victim or badass where at the beginning of her career, she did kind of allude to, if you're mean to me, I'll write a song about you. Or be careful, because I'll write a song about you. But mm-hmm. then once the media kind of got in on that joke, she was like, okay, stop saying that Like I'm writing songs about everyone that I date. And I think it's now at a point where if someone was like a newer Taylor Swift fan, they would say, oh my god, the media is horrible for saying that. And of course, the media is just horrible in general. But I do remember in the early days her saying like, oh yeah, well, I'll write a song about that. Or he said not to, but like, I definitely will. And once again, that's kind of leading people in to be like, ooh, like, okay, so she will write a song about someone, but then all of a sudden she doesn't want people to be saying that anymore. And it's like, oh, okay, sorry, sorry. Totally. I think, you know, kind of like we were talking about with the corn kid, like (laughs) sometimes the thing that makes you take off is the thing you resent the most. And I think that she could not be where she is today if she did not create this element of lore and fact-finding associated with who the songs are about. I think the paternity test sucks as a feminist, but I think as a marketer, it made a lot of sense at the time. And I don't. And I think she, at a really young age, wrote checks she can't cash, not understanding the longevity of what of her being held to that narrative. And over a decade since she's ever said anything alluding to like I might you know in a sassy tone kind of we're you know people in passing still label her as the person who writes songs about guys that dump her. It was happening during the all too well re-release. So I think it's an interesting thing where has she been hypocritical like a hundred percent, but I think most of us don't have to breathe life into things publicly before we're old enough to know better. And so she did that. It worked and now hates it because she's successful enough where she doesn't need it. Yeah. And you know what? She was so young at the beginning and so young the ellen clip with the joe jonas phone call what was she like 18 if that been 17 yeah exactly because i think fearless came out when she was 16 i think or maybe no maybe that was her debut when she was 16 and then fearless was when i think speak now she was 19 but um yeah and anyone i think of this too even when people are like these young tiktok stars they're like i can't believe addison ray or charlie d'amelio did that i'm like if i was their age on tiktok i would have embarrassed myself put my foot in my mouth so many times i find it crazy when people look at a young i don't know 20 year old and they're like i can't believe she said this i wouldn't i'm like no you would have we all would have taylor did she's always been very well media trained because i think she's incredibly smart 
Oh, totally. When I, I think most millennials, we didn't know about the immortality of what we put online. So we were almost like the most authentic in a way because we didn't know to be more curated. So like the way I just would describe myself at 16 sure as hell wouldn't be socially conscious. I was just like shopping at the Charlotte Russe. Like I wasn't doing anything deep or important. And the fact that she even was that polished from an early age, I think is impressive. But I totally agree with you. I think maybe kids have more access to information about other people's lives in a way that allows them to be more aware and empathetic than perhaps we were when we were a bit more disconnected. So we were so insular to our lives. But she was always pretty calculated. And I I think I mean that in a good way. Defending her is a full time job because like all of the things people say about her, like make sense and have roots. But she's kind of a unique situation where people like don't let her move on. Yeah, and also even even the worst thing that Taylor Swift ever did, if I were to critique her for it, I would also still throw myself down the stairs for her in a heartbeat because I just think she's so massively important. And I don't know, there is something about Taylor Swift. I'm trying to think of other artists who have had this much discourse and strong opinions about them. You know, like Katy Perry is basically just a pop star, you know? Yeah. Selena Gomez is basically just a pop star and maybe that's because you don't think of these people as actually writing their lyrics so you're not going to yeah. read super much into a song that has like 15 LA co-writers on it but there really isn't maybe Olivia Rodrigo because people are calling her the next Taylor Swift but I can't even think of like a second place person okay okay that's interesting you say that because I my theory on this I don't know if this is the best example to a much different degree is like well okay you know when people uh, go out of their way to position their brand as almost having a predisposed, broken down parasocial barrier, and they really make you believe they're your best friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she went with relatable best friend, just like you. Even when America was in not like other girls' face, she was like, "No, I'm exactly like other girls. I like cats and flowers and drinking tea." And that was even before it was cool to be yourself. So I think she like cultivated this audience of like people that are very like, you know. I think she cultivated an audience of like probably a lot of young white women that didn't feel like the cool party girls or didn't feel like they could fit in a box and were a little bit awkward before they found their place in the world. And she represented them and they followed her throughout life. And she has this like army of people that genuinely feel like she writes for them to them. They look out for her. And I think that like when you set the bar that high and people you convince people that they know you that well, even though they actually don't, the standards are really high. Mm. that's that's part of it to me i don't know why the general public and media other than like generic misogyny and just being like annoyed with girlishness like i don't know what their deal is they've always kind of had it out for her um but i think that sometimes the people that go hardest against you were once you're like biggest fans that and they turned at a point and i think some of that happened to taylor swift a bit or has happened over the years where they felt like you know jilted from secret sessions or she didn't speak out on the issues she said she would or you know what I mean I kind of I can't decide if like there's something fundamentally differently interest like fundamentally interesting about her or if people have were misguided about how like close they were to her yeah maybe that's what it is too because I mean for as much you know there are people who love her there are people who hate her but I do also meet a good number of people where they're like I like shake it off and that's all I have to say on the matter you know (laughs) but when you're online right especially with like the for you page and everything you're really only interacting with people who love Taylor Swift or like hate her with like a bloodthirsty passion and I don't know it's it's a creepy amount of people actually I would say that 
I think that turning point, I think that if you followed Taylor Swift before the 1989 media blitz, you like understood her and could, could contextualize what she was doing. If you were introduced to her during that time or the volume of seeing her was higher, I think those are the people that were really off put by the squad goals of it all. Mm. And just like she said in a later interview, like that part of my life, it was kind of filling the empty lunch tables of my past. Like, look how many friends I have. I think there were a lot of people that took it just like that and knew a lot of people like Taylor Swift that kind of um, traded on a currency of exclusivity and it was off putting. So I, I, I can actually see that too as being a turning point for some people. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that too. And I, I find it interesting too that people's number one if if you're walking by someone on the street and they only know a few songs of hers the number one thing that they will say which you know it isn't a thought that they have on their own they've just read it or seen it on twitter is always like she's always writing songs about those boys or Mm -hmm. like she can't keep a man or um isn't it so egotistical of her to be writing all of these songs about her life and i'm always baffled by that one because i'm like so you'd rather someone sing lyrics that they bought from someone else like that's always the most baffling to me and that's a piece of criticism where I'm like has Ed Sheeran like ever gotten that once in his life I don't think so oh a hundred percent like I mean think about country stars with private planes talking about the little red dirt road and their pickup truck (laughs) it's like that's not about their life anymore they're full-on pandering (laughs) she's evolving her lyrics with her life yeah (laughs) um but I yeah, that narrative's tough, too, because I think we're, like, at risk of making the world of an artless place if we make people feel like their experiences are invalid because they could be worse, better, different, look like this, that, or the other. It's a weird whataboutist thing the internet does where they want you to feel as insignificant as possible and you creating art based off of your experience to feel as narcissistic as possible. But since the dawn of time... All anybody knows is their own experience, and that's usually what they create art from, you know? I think that all the time. Also, like, I want love songs. That's what I want. I want love songs. I want breakup songs. Maybe you could throw in a few, like, friendship or, like, empower anthems in there, but I don't want Taylor Swift to sing, oh, my God, the Wi-Fi router went out, and, (laughs) you know, like, uh, I have to put it in the dryer a second time because the duvet sheet is just too heavy. It's like, I'm sure those things do happen to her, but let's be honest, you don't want her singing about that stuff. We want love and drama all the time. Right. Like a sad country anthem about how as an adult it's hard to like find a hobby and your postmate left your food in the lobby yes. like no one wants to hear oh, that little, too a little rhyming there too though it's, it's already sounding Those are the good. two things i've been thinking about a lot <laughs> so something that did you know obviously she's had moments up and down with the public um i think the most recent thing that had people upset well probably the most most recent would be private jets but i think there was a large amount of people frustrated with her when she didn't speak out about Roe v. Wade. And I think it was especially frustrating because after her documentary, Miss Americana, she kind of positioned herself as this political advocate. And it was something that took her like a decade to do. And I mean, I I really have to scratch my head over the timeline, but I feel like her time as a political advocate kind of ended right when the album era ended as well. Or at the very least, like, in the last two years, maybe when a big thing happens, she'll tweet about it. But if you're going to deem yourself a political advocate and make an entire documentary about how you are now an activist, I would assume baseline, low level, if you're going to call yourself an activist, at least one tweet a month would probably be the minimum. And, like, we have not been seeing that. So 
I'm curious what you think. Was this just to promote her album? Do you think that she got backlash from it and that's why she stopped? Or my little theory, she that representative in Nashville that she wanted to vote out of office, like stayed in office. There wasn't enough votes to kick her out. So maybe she was embarrassed and stopped. I'm just so curious, like why she hasn't been politically active in the last like two years, save for maybe like five tweets over two years. I know I'm with you. And this is one of those things that like, I feel like on the podcast, I'm usually trying to come from a place of I've thought this through and have found resolve. And this is how I feel. But as a fan, this is something I can't find resolve with myself because I like I was sitting in bed watching the most seismic thing to happen to reproductive rights in decades. And then she did a merch drop and I clicked on it and she was selling fuck the patriarchy keychains as we were getting fucked by the patriarchy. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I had to like take a month off. I was like, I can't even, I, that was a moment for me that many people probably got to a lot earlier than I did where I've, I felt like I was starting to see it for what it was. And, um, I think that the era of activism, like, yeah, so Miss Americana was January 2020. I went back in her Twitter to be like, what has she talked about? Because I'm not trying to keep score, but I just wanted to know if it was like a, it ever seemed sustainable. Yeah. And she was super vocal in like June 2020. Remember she like tweeted Trump's about stoking the fires of white supremacy. Like she was like in it and up that, until through that's... summer 2020. And then it yeah. totally dropped. Is that what you mean by the album cycle? Well, no, I was just going to say, I think that tweet is her most liked tweet of all time. The stoking the oh, fires. Oh, really? Because I remember, oh, stoking them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was fires, flames or something. It was, it was well, it was, it was punchy. And I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it set a precedent for us thinking like, cool, we can, you know, it, it feels better to get behind and support and defend and spend so much of like in your job and my job, spend so much of our real estate covering her when it's a person who's supporting things that actually are you know, defending people's rights and making the lives of your audience better. And it is, I I am genuinely struggling with the Roe situation. I think the part that's hardest too is, you know, she, uh, major things have happened over the course of the past year, but she popped on to defend herself against Ginny in Georgia when they told a joke about her and then, and also defended herself uh, with that songwriter, Something with, remember, with, like, Billie Eilish and that, I forget what, what it was. Was his name, like, Aaron or something? I don't remember. Oh, he's the head, like, the lead singer of Gorillaz? Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> and, yeah, that's the, that's kind of the only time she got involved. And then if, three weeks after, no, maybe, like, a month after the, the decision leaked, she, like, retweeted something from Michelle Obama about Roe, and that was it. But then it's she always was... an Obama too. I remember there was another tweet that she made and oh, she yeah. reposted something of Barack Obama's, which, you know, the repost is always good, but I always wonder like, hmm, like what are your actual thoughts on this? But I guess, I don't know, she says like a sentence on it, which once again, it's like you said you were a political activist and like the most we're getting from you is a retweet with like, there's only so many characters. It's not even two tweets. It's like one sentence on the statement, which isn't being an activist. That's like, that's your PR statement. Completely agree. And I think that, I i mean, if I'm being honest, I also struggle with uh, the David O. Russell film. I also struggle with Crawdads. Like, I think a lot of these decisions are adjacent to people that don't represent the things she kind of promised she wouldn't be a part of. And I just don't really get it. I think also to being a fan, right? I, I remember online, all of the forums and everything, when Taylor Swift wasn't doing or saying anything about Roe v. Wade, 
I remember we started getting worried. There were people who were like, what if something's going on with her mom? Like, she's been really quiet. She hasn't done this. What if something devastating is happening? And then for the merch drop to happen after that, it was like, okay, we just, like, felt bad because we thought maybe her mom was dying. And now it's like, nope, buy this pool floaty for, like, $80, you know? It's purple. (laughs) Right. It was a Claire explosion of purple glitter. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's a hard thing because I get – I hear this all day from people that are – people want to defend Taylor Swift so intensely, and I've fallen in that category too. And I, in many cases, will. But I do think it's important – to not worship public figures and to be able to say they don't do everything perfectly and to express your disdain. But it it doesn't mean I hate her, don't love her music, won't like buy every piece of weird merch to get that Ticketmaster thing so I can be a little closer in line for a ticket I'll never even get. (laughs) Like I'll do all the things. I'm still here. But I think it's okay to let her be human. And with that comes the grace to explain herself that there's a good reason and also the importance of saying when I think she's misstepped. And I agree with you that I wouldn't have overthought it. If she was radio silent, I get that there's sometimes that serves a purpose and maybe she was going to talk at midterms. Maybe she was waiting. It was a leak and maybe she was waiting till it was final, but then nothing still came. Um, I was willing to give benefits of the doubt, but um, it just, it felt in, it felt like such a miss in reading the room and doing the right thing to drop merch that I just, something about that sent me. And, um, and then like, yeah, and she did a graduation speech and it was mostly just, I don't know, it wasn't really anything about anything. Yeah. And I I think what really made the whole Roe v. Wade situation like triply awful was that Taylor Swift throughout her career, she has this tendency of having a thin skin or getting a little bit defensive, which, you know, it sounds like I'm insulting her, but I mean, I am also two for two on both of those. So it's not that bad, oh but God. tissue paper over yes. here. I get it. <laughs> and, um, but a lot of these moments happen and she references women. So, you know, the Amy Poehler, Tina Fey joke, um, at the Golden Globes when they said, you know what, Taylor Swift, you stay away from Michael J. Fox's son or go for it. She needs some time to learn about herself. She said, you know, the iconic quote, yes. there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. And then in 2015, when Nicki Minaj was tweeting her frustrations about nominations at the MTV Music Video Awards, she, and by the way, Nicki Minaj was tweeting about um, issues of racism with the Music Awards and things like that, basically saying, if I was like a different type of artist, you would have given me this, but instead you're celebrating like women with very slim bodies and blah, blah, blah. But we had all of these views. Um, we did the choreo. You couldn't go on social media without people seeing the cover art and art uh, outfits for Halloween, which, yeah, Anaconda should have got. Like, that's what everyone was talking about that year. And mm-hmm. Taylor took that tweet and goes, I've done nothing but love and support you. It's unlike you to pit women against each other. Maybe one of the men took your slot. So, so many different instances, even with Ginny and Georgia. I forgot about that. That's bad. Well, isn't that horrible? And it's all of these things where something happens and Taylor Swift goes, don't say that because I am a woman and women are supposed to help other women. And then obviously Roe v. Wade, you know, women and, you know, those who can give birth, you know, I would say probably majority women, but anyone who it relates to. And that's very much a woman supporting other women or, you know, people. And silent and it's just like but there have been so many different moments where you've been like I want to support these issues and like how dare you not help other people and 
I really can't think of, you know, a political situation of the last 10 years that's more tied to this whole idea of like women helping other women and like support other women and things like that. And it's just like silence. And it's like, okay, well, when it's you, it matters. But when it's women on a whole, it doesn't matter as much. Right. I mean, if that isn't the crux of mid-2010s, like MLM white feminism, I don't know what is. It's like an incessant need to center yourself and only care about issues when they threaten your capitalistic gain. And you hope people evolve from that. And it seemed like in in Miss Americana, she did. Like, I even dug through and found an old, like, magazine interview where she, like, confirmed. She, I was like, is there any chance that she is, like, anti-choice? But found, like, her, she said one time, like, she's pro-choice or whatever. Like, I, so that's what's hard for me is, like, I know it's not, so when people, I complain about it on my podcast and her fans are like, she does like, so we don't need to, like, hold celebrities responsible for caring about everything ever or, you just care because it's an issue you specifically care about and blah, 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 which fine. But I do think that there's an element of like, we know if we know that she is pro-choice and she said she was going to be an activist and she went out, she like so obviously said nothing and dropped merch during the biggest effing deal. Like it almost makes so little sense. I am wondering, I don't, if something happens on midnights, like, okay, but it better be clear and it better be before midterms because that's the only thing that would absolve it for me. But like, otherwise, it seems like there has to be something else to the story because it just makes so little sense to me, I guess. It does. And also when people are like, normally I agree, right? I don't think all celebrities should be political activists. In fact, I'm kind of not a fan when they are because I feel like so often they miss the mark, they're condescending, and they're hypocritical. They're talking about the environment and then getting on their private plane, right? They're saying this needs to happen, but they're spending like excessive water usage on, you know, it's just one of those things where like, if you are a celebrity, you can't really tell other people how to live because there's no way that you're living the right way yourself. Like we saw that with Taylor Swift taking her private plane, you know, everywhere and back. Um, But if you make a documentary and it's your coming out story of being a political activist, then people do get to hold you to that standard. You just made them watch an hour and a half video on it and you got paid to promote that message. You know Netflix was paying her big bucks. So whenever people are like, oh my God, you shouldn't expect her this of her. She told me to expect it two years ago. So is she, mm-hmm. until she puts out another documentary that says I'm no longer a political activist, you should still be able to ask that of her. That's what I think. Right. And it kind of was a thing that absolved her of never speaking out in like 2016 when it really mattered, Mm. you know, and and so it was more of like a bandaid, if anything. Yeah, I yeah. And I know it's it's tricky because like I operate from like a commentary and entertainment medium. So do you like I my content's largely escapist, but it's just not that hard to acknowledge that you care about the lives, well-being and basic rights of the people that write your checks and she came out in a big way with like, you need to calm down and stuff and like, which was cool, but like didn't show up this past year. Like when don't say gay was like top of mind in the public square, you know, like, so I, I just, I really can't, I don't know if she realized that it was, she wouldn't feasibly be able to keep up with things in a way that would ever make people happy. So she dipped out again. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know. I, and I can't understand what it's like to be on that level. 
I certainly don't address every issue ever um, and try to stay in my lane. But to your point, I also know the things that are like the most important to the people that support me and I want them to feel supported. And I think in that moment as a diehard fan who defends her a lot, who has been in a situation that would have literally been killed by these types of laws in place when I had an ectopic pregnancy. Like I just, I think that I was doing the Taylor Swift thing of feeling so personally offended in that moment that I just like couldn't even. And I admit that there's an element of that that's like unique to my experience, but um, yeah, it's, it's hard to navigate. And I'm interested to see if Midnight's has an element of um, activism or women's empowerment. And that's a little bit more, I don't know, pointed or intersectional or something. She was wearing a necklace the other day that was called like a woman power necklace. Did you see that? I wonder if it was an Easter egg. No, but like, why is that making me roll my eyes so hard? It's just like, it's been two years. And like, the time I'll talk about promoting and empowering women, it's for an Easter egg for my upcoming album. And it's just like, well, there's been like two years, like, I just, <laughs> I, I just go back to thinking like, when t- people are like, she needs to do something, she needs to do something. And then it's one tweet with maybe two to three sentences in it and it's like once again that's like a PR statement that's not being an activist which you know I don't know maybe to this day she's like I wish I never did that documentary because like I do not want to get involved in this world but I think you bring up an, an interesting point when you were saying um people pleasing so one of the things that I'm fascinated by is Taylor Swift's woman of the decade speech that she did at Billboard did you watch that speech is she wearing a navy jumpsuit with a gold chain? Yes, and okay. Jamila, yes. <laughs> yeah, she gave her it, and yes, then like yes, awkwardly yes. stood there for like the time. Yes, that's right. Was talking. So, you know, a lot of people had different opinions on the speech. I found myself really uncomfortable by it, which I think I'll, I'll break down different parts of it. But it to me, it just felt so north and south and north and south. So. What I think is interesting, and I get very like armchair psychologist about all of this stuff, which I know I shouldn't, but it's so hard not to. (laughs) She starts the speech by saying, I'm Taylor. And she does this at her tours and her Mm -hmm. concerts. And I feel like it was such a cute thing to do at the beginning because like there were some people there who didn't know her. But I wonder how long is she going to keep doing, hi, I'm Taylor. Everyone knows who you are. (laughs) You're the woman they are honoring you at that event. Your name's everywhere. Like, why do you think she always introduces herself? I'm Taylor. See, that's funny you mentioned that because I actually find that charming. It's almost like part of canon, like, (laughs) that she's stuck to. And whenever she says it at a concert, it's like, bitch, I know. I just spent $1,000 on a ticket (laughs) in a snake pit so I could be on an aisle just to catch a sight of your dad who's an old stockbroker because I want one of your old guitar picks. Like, I know who you are. I just bought popcorn that's $27. I know that you're Taylor. (laughs) Yes. But it's that's kind of the joke, right? It's like, I, I don't know. So I actually see that as part of like canon like one two three let's go bitch at this point um and I think it's funny but I've never heard her do it in the context of a speech or to accept an award I don't think at least not that not that I noticed yeah well who knows I'm sure she doesn't do it for every speech but you know this is one that happens and in the speech she's talking about kind of her her experience and her career and what's happened but there's a lot of paragraphs where she talks about a low and then a high and they go back to back so there was one where she says, 
I saw Pop Station send my songs Love Story and You Belong With Me to number one for the first time. And I saw that as a female in this industry, some people will always have slight reservations about you. Whether you deserve to be there, whether your male producer or co-writer is the reason for your success, or whether it was a savvy record label. It wasn't. And that's something where... I don't know, just on a level, I feel a little bit weird because I'm like, oh my God, wow, like you're young and you're getting success. Oh, people had reservations about you, you know, where it's like Mm. you're having also, you know, it wasn't a male producer or a co-writer, the reason for her success, but it did help. Nobody makes it in this world alone. And I find that interesting too. I feel like Taylor is either half of the time saying, you know, it was so hard to do this, but I did it alone. And I'm like, the answer's probably in the middle where like, there were hard moments but I had people help and you know blah 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 and together we all did this and I feel like that message in the middle is more empowering but when I hear Taylor talk about her life it's either oh my god it was so hard and that makes me feel discouraged because I'm like if it was if it was so hard for Taylor Swift I'll never be able to do anything or the message is at age 16 you know I won a Grammy and radio shows were like playing love story everywhere and I'm like oh okay well that sounds good but that also sounds too easy and I feel like when Mm. she talks about her career it's just the lowest lows and the highest highs and none of the middle Mm. that's an interesting thing I've never thought about I think that when you're talking about your career or telling a story about your life or or anything that was difficult maybe not on the in the grand scheme of things but difficult for you it's hard to balance the tension of what it felt like in real time before you knew you'd make it Mm. and I think she's so famous and so popular and so well received and like has everything you could ever want it's almost hard to believe that those granular moments existed or were even that impactful and even to think of a point where Taylor Swift would ever feel like those things were holding her back I think when she highlights those things it's more so to illustrate the real-time struggle uh, of navigating that world before you know it's positive outcome. Yeah, well, like we know I'm it's positive outcome, too, yeah. so we're like, you're fine. Interesting. <laughs> yes, and I think that's what it is, right? Because so she's getting getting this award, Woman of the Decade, right? Obviously, a very high position. Where is it? So there's a quote here. She goes, "When Fearless did win Album of the Year at the Grammys, and I did become the youngest solo artist ever to win the award." And with that win came criticism and backlash that I'd never experienced before as a young new artist. And that's also a sentence that makes me feel weird because criticism and backlash, everyone gets that. I mean, just as a podcaster, you and I get that all the time, I'm sure. But you know what everyone doesn't get? Grammys, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. this story of like, I fearless won album of the year at the Grammys. I was the youngest solo artist ever to win the award but I got criticism and backlash. And it's like, dude, so does everyone. So so does so do retail workers on the daily, you know? And yeah. so it's it's one of those things where we all go through the same struggles, but we're not receiving the same highs that you get. And I almost wonder if Taylor is talking about this to kind of once again feed that idea of relatability. But once you're at the top, it's kind of annoying to be relatable because mm. we're not relatable anymore. Maybe our emotions and our feelings are, but you know, right now you're talking about criticism and backlash and you took a private jet to this event where everyone's honoring you for being the woman of the decade and i'm not saying that to be like oh if you're rich you can't have problems but i just find it funny that taylor swift talks about her problems so much that's an interesting point that i could see going either way i could i I think that they 
it's really hard to discern between the two because when you sense that there's um, an effort of curated authenticity, it's especially grating because that's not the point, right? Like Mm -hmm. to plan your relatability, to plan your authenticity. You know, it's just like, no, that's not what we're here for. Um, However, a woman in her position who has the eyes and ears of so many young girls, which is also another reason why we're so frustrated with her for not talking about things like the overturning of Roe v. Wade, also has the opportunity to be like, listen, nothing good comes without its downsides. Um, The road to getting here wasn't pleasant. It was often at the expense of my personal comfort and being offended and feeling misunderstood and blah, blah, blah. And uh, at least since I'm kind of a sensitive bird, I think as you grow up, you realize you move through the world really feeling validated by things like grades or sports or being good at these things that have these external metrics that you think will fulfill you. And then you realize they're kind of meaningless. And what matters is like the day to day of how you move through the world. And like she has every accolade in the world. She has a plane. She has money and agrees. She's marked with more privilege than perhaps anybody. But I think she's still like a sensitive person who really feels the negativity, the criticism, the being misunderstood at every turn. And there's maybe an element that's self-serving and being like, and I did it anyway. So Mm -hmm. I think that it could be a little bit of both, like filling the lunch, empty lunch tables of her past and like kind of a middle finger to everybody who said she couldn't do it. That's more self-serving. But I also think there's an element too of, I remember hearing that speech and she said something and I wish I could remember what it was. It was something about criticism or something about like, Anytime you put yourself out there, people are going to have a lot to say about it. But that doesn't mean you don't create. That doesn't mean you don't push forward. That, And as a person whose like career at this point is like from scratch of just output, I'm so self-conscious of everything I'm doing. It was almost refreshing to hear that if that's your nature, you're going to feel that way no matter if you're at the top or where you are now. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so it's not it's, – it's something where it's not like her message isn't it gets better, but it's like – it stays that's part the same, of it. but exactly. we're all in this together. <laughs> yes, that's how I took it was like, yeah, it does suck how with everything you put out that you think is really great quality work, like somebody is so locked and loaded, ready to shit on it. But maybe that is part of it because she couldn't be more successful to me, but literally everybody shits on everything she does. I don't feel bad for her, like personally in a sense, but I kind of thought she was making a point. Yeah, well, also her sensitivity is the reason why she does such great songwriting i don't know exactly are you familiar with um the enneagram test at all Mm -hmm. i go back and forth i'm like would taylor swift be a three or a four because i feel like a three she's so achievement oriented and goal oriented she loves those awards they mean a lot to her but then i also feel like four she is very like individualistic like my experience a little bit of drama or takes criticism to heart have you ever tried to type her well, you know, as a four, that was tough for me to hear. Oh, I'm, well, I'm a four, too. <laughs> I, no, most people in this type of job would be. Like, you and I think we're, yeah. our, our opinions are so interesting, we put a mic in front of ourselves. Like, yes. that's not, we're not well. Um, but I think she's a three-wing four. And that's hilarious because I have thought about this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> me, too. Because sometimes I'll listen to her songs and I'm like, she's just like me, you know? Um, yeah. Are you a three-wing? Well, I'm a four-wing three. I, no, I'm the other one. I forget four what Four wing is. five, which I means think... you're like individualistic and independent and analytic. Oh, no, maybe not. 
Oh, I know, I'll have to check out the wings, but it was the type of thing where I read the description of a four and they're like, you're overly dramatic and depressed <laughs> and like you feed your emotions too much. I was like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> oh, the care and feeding of my emotions is like my memoir title. I feel like the, I, it, it that this is why I think this conversation is really interesting and dynamic when we talk about um, the uh, experience versus perspective almost, right? Like I, fours are so in their own world in a way that would appear narcissistic, but is more so like deeply emotional layered has to like process and express themselves to even like get through those emotions, to be through the fog enough to have the clarity, to see the silver linings. And I relate to being like so deep in my experience and my own sorrow and having this undercurrent of melancholia to the point where I'm not always thinking about the right things. I'm not always doing the right thing. I'm not always seeing other people. And that's a level of self-awareness I've had to like try to find with age. But that about that that about her is very four-ish. You know, we're all like, put don't put women in boxes, but let's put ourselves in tons of boxes. <laughs> the I'm Enneagram. Obs- obsessed. I feel, I'm like a cat. I feel comfortable in a box. And it's, <laughs> well, like sometimes I wanted to, I wish that there was um, some sort of app where I could say like, I am, these are my big three for horoscope. This is my Enneagram. This is my Myers-Briggs. This is my, I don't know. There must be other ones too. And then I could find other people just like me. And we would either be the best of friends or the worst of enemies. Cause I think sometimes you need balance, but those quizzes are like addicting to people and how fun is it to take like celebrities and fictional characters and be like oh my god they think in just the same way that I do that is a brilliant business idea yeah that I think you should pursue because it would be fun to be like oh you you also self-identify as uh you know a Stacy with a Claudia rising and a Dawn moon or like whatever (laughs) I love Dawn I love Dawn yes yeah. Dawn wore like ear- earth earrings. She was an environmentalist. She had breezy Blake Lively. She was Larissa Olenek from The Secret World of Alex Mack in the movie, who I loved in the 90s. And I, I yeah. loved Claudia too. Like, you know, like so her obsession with the junk food and hiding it everywhere. It's like, yeah, relatable. That's me. You're so right. And I think it speaks to meme culture too. It's like all we want in this life and in these times is to come across something and think that's so me. I feel understood. Yes, there's nothing better than I've been getting a lot of TikTok tarot card readings of people being like just like the saddest like tarot card reading ever and then you enter the comments and everyone's like I claim this like I claim this and I need it and I'm like okay so like me and 70 people are all going through it right now but it makes you feel better to like seek camaraderie in like some inexplicable way. I saw you had a video that was like uh you're like the key is you don't respond to the tarot card lives or astrology lives that have like more than 10,000 likes yeah 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 as long as it doesn't have the k by it you're like this is meant for me (laughs) yes it it, the yes the some amalgam of the universe and the algorithm found you (laughs) (laughs) when really it's just they're literally trawling through your phone because you gave them access to everything and they're reading your text messages and like serving you videos that relate Whoops. It's it's scary to the point where before I understood how refined the TikTok algorithm is on Instagram or my podcast, I was like, is anybody else getting a lot of this highly niche content? And I had to be like, I need to not tell people that because I'm engaging with that content. Well, I made one video. I remember it was like a year and a half ago at my sister's place. And I was like, 
well, like something's happening. I'm like, everyone has an eating disorder. Everyone's talking about it. And I got a bunch of comments. They were like, um, no, none of that content's come across my page. I haven't seen any of it. And I was like, oh, oh my God, I need to delete this. I was like, I just completely gave myself away. I'm like, what's happening in the zeitgeist? And they were like, girl, it's not the zeitgeist. It's your For You page. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. That's a good reminder. (laughs) That is... I think we all have to learn the hard way, honestly. Like, yes, there's one when, moment where you're like, oh, yeah, so, like, we all love, like, XYZ character, and they're, like, never seen that character in my life. Yes, exactly. And I think the – it is kind of – I never know if to be spooked or impressed by the precision of the FYP. I feel like mine understands me because you come up on mine a lot. I think algorithms are hard because I consume as much content that I don't like. Like if somebody comes up that's you know like, like Maddie Tate Maddie Pruitt preaching, mm. mm-hmm. um, only God can satisfy. Like I did an episode called "Preaching to the Friar" about these like reality star turned televangelists like Maddie Pru, like Sadie Robertson from Duck Dynasty, and I'm fascinated by them and I consume so much of their content that I'm now on like evangelical talk and everyone has like Kingdom Chaser in their bio and I'm like I'm not meant to be here. <laughs> I get because I think it's so cringe when guys are like alpha males do this and like sigma males do this and I will get TikToks that are like here's why semen retention is important and I'm like why am I getting this and then I'm like oh no it's because I interact with all of this stuff because I find it so sick and like fascinating. I don't want to be on creatine talk. (laughs) How did I get here? (laughs) Miserable. Okay um last few things I have for Taylor Swift here. This was an interesting thing I think Taylor Swift has said before that she doesn't have a therapist. I feel like most celebrities probably do. I feel like Ariana Grande has talked about going to therapy. I feel like if you're someone as big as Taylor Swift, you'd probably be terrified to have a therapist. But what I thought was really interesting in the speech was she was talking about um, how to go back and appease her critics. And I'm also curious on your take of how to deal with critics. So she said, I decided that I would be the only songwriter on my third album, Speak Now, and that I would tour constantly, work on my vocals every day, and perfect my stamina in a live show. I decided that I would be what they said I couldn't be. I didn't know that then, soon enough, people would decide on something else I wasn't quite doing right. And the circle would keep going on and on and rolling along. And I would keep accommodating, overcorrecting, in an effort to appease my critics. So she talks about how, you know, they say she can't sing, she gets vocal training. They say she's too country, she goes pop. They say that she doesn't have any girlfriends, she gets the girl squad. And I wonder (laughs) why in going through that cycle, there's never a moment where she goes, I decided, fuck them. I'm just going to be me. But instead it was like, I need to prove them wrong or I need to please them or I need to correct this. And I think that was something for me, especially with this podcast. I remember the first couple of times I got bad feedback, I'm like, they're 100% right. They probably are an executive at Wondery and I need to change everything. (laughs) And finally, you know, you get to a point where you're like, well, I'm just going to do what I like. And if it is what it is, then it is what it is. Do you think that people pleasing or appeasing the critics is a way to make you feel better about yourself? Do you think that it's a trap that some people get into and they can't get out of? I think it's a personality driven thing. Mm. I... I think that the re- my read on that billboard speech, I, that context is helpful for me because I think that's what stuck out to me. At a point, the thing that I had to say fuck it to wasn't the critics. What I had to be like, fuck it to me ever thinking I'll be a person that doesn't care what other people think about me, my art, my work, anything. 
there's almost an ownership of being like, I'm sensitive. I care. This will never not bother me. And I'm not better than moving through the world as a product of the opinions about me. You hope self-confidence and work experience gets you to a place where you're less rattled. And it certainly does. It, it makes your skin thicker in a sense. But I think that I personally have a threshold of like, I am never going to be a zero fucks kind of gal. I give all the fucks, always have, always will. And like, can that be okay? And then, so my experience being more public facing has been navigate, not, not saying you can't talk bad about me or you, or doing everything people say I can't do, rather modifying my consumption of it. Yeah. And I think that, she had a response that's kind of a marker of immaturity where you're not like, you haven't decided like I'm sensitive. It is what it is. Or you haven't decided that you are a fuck it type of person. So she took that feedback as actionable direction in her career, which is just such an unhealthy thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I would be surprised if she doesn't still do that a little bit, but that's kind of what I took from that was like, I, I wanted to, kind of flip them the bird, but also I was listening to them way more than the people that liked me. Yeah, well, it's interesting because it, it, the the way that she talks about these different kind of eras and albums she's had where I'm like, ooh, this is the sparkly album, and then this is the one where she wears striped shirts and red pants, but when she talked about it in terms of who she was trying to please at that time, right? So like me doing all of my songs on Speak Now, that was because they said I had co-writers. And me doing all of this on Red, like that was because they said that I couldn't do rock and I wanted to do better (laughs) lyrics. And I'm like, oh my God, has her entire trajectory been, you know, especially when you work for yourself, you have to sit down and be like, okay, what's my goal for the next year? And I'm like, is her goal music related, art related, creativity related? Or is it like, they said they didn't like this about me in 2021. So in 2022, we are going to take care of that. You know, I just (laughs) wonder like, how does she set goals and how much do like the critics kind of influence what she's working on for the next year? I know it's an interesting point because it's like, yeah, you would hope something like the feedback of her not speaking out on row would be like the type of criticism that maybe she'd take to heart and listen to. 2023, she's like, woo, (laughs) I'm sending the pill to everybody. So part of me does not know if she like literally sees nothing or I don't know. But yeah, I think that's a really interesting point um, that I would, I don't know, but like, I guess since I'm roughly her age, to me, it's like the evolution of personhood, uh, where if her art was about her life and her life was marked by an onslaught of criticism, your average person isn't well adjusted for in their teens and 20s. The feedback loop of fame is not something anybody is well adjusted for. Uh, I think that maybe it started that way and she didn't realize that until hindsight. Like uh, maybe, you know, sometimes you do stuff and you don't even realize why you're doing it. And then you look back and you're like, that was so transparent. Like, <laughs> And I have noticed Taylor, both for the good and the bad, she does seem to have a, if this, then that mentality, right? So like, if they say mm. I have too many co-writers, then I will write a thing on my own. You even saw this when she announced the album, you know, if you guys gave me this award, then I would do this album. Or even on Tumblr, right? Like if they start, <laughs> I think one of her... Uh, likes that she had liked was like you know changed to be BLM if you do this then I'll never use Tumblr again like if you guys go too crazy about my relationships then you'll never see a picture of me and Joe Mm. together so I feel like for so many different aspects she is kind of like if this 
than that. And I that kind of happens for the secret sessions too. If you're the best fan ever, then you could get invited to secret sessions. So there is kind of a little bit of punishment reward situation. And I think she does it internally to herself too. That is such a good point. And I'm glad you bring that up because that is actually one of my thing one of the things that frustrates me about her is that the human in me understands what it must be like to receive that kind of criticism. The fan in me, and this is why I've tried, like, I, I really think about this a lot. Um, when anybody that's public facing spends more time discussing criticism than favor, than public favor, is that the interviews and times that Taylor Swift is always talking about her critics, it feels offensive as a person that's like unequivocally supported her that they're getting all of the airtime. And when Reputation came out and people like me always understood her, always stood by her, never were off put by the Kanye tapes. And she's like, yeah, so because you all were so rude to me and like sent snake emojis to my Twitter, I'm not doing press. And it's like, well, now the biggest consumers and supporters of your art are robbed of the context they'd get from a media tour. I get the element of shtick, but I also think that there's something that really slights your biggest fans when you let the negativity be louder and she does have a problem of hyper-focusing on critics. Yeah, and I think of that too, even as a podcaster, like when you do get criticism, it's so hard not to like spiral over it. And oh, um, yeah. I've listened to some friends, you know, podcasts. I also would call some of them friends and they do not know me. I just think that they are. And they'll be like, this happened or like we got this review or like, you know, didn't like this. And um, I understand why they say it, but I'm always like, oh, well, like, like they're getting the airtime what about the people who left the five star reviews or things like that and it would be it would be perfectly reasonable for me to get on every podcast and be like look some people gave me a one star review i do this along with my nine to five job and two episodes a week and i'm completely burnt out and this is all i can do so i got one fact wrong but the other 865 were correct and nobody thanked me for that and it's like oh my God, someone's probably trying to listen to this on their morning walk or their commute to work. And I'm just like bitching in their ear. Mm. And um, also, you know, it's kind of funny because like you said with Reputation, she did an entire album that was about like the critics, you know? When will we get an entire album about all of the fans, you know? Like when will all of this love be like, this inspired my album, you know? I don't think it ever would. Well, right, and that's why fans, especially people that plan to give birth someday, are like, this is the time when we could maybe get some reciprocated support. Yes. Um, but y- you're absolutely right, and I think that um, it, at a point it gets a little exhausting and distracting because you're talking to a bunch of people that aren't there anymore. When you're talking to your harshest critics, they've dropped off. They're not listening. They're not watching. They you're wasting your valuable time talking to people that already left you there is as much as I'll never be zero fucks. I also acknowledge the natural progression of attracting and repelling as you move through your career. Like it it just is what it is. Um, and I think if you appeal to everyone, you'll appeal to no one. Like it's that part's fine. It's inevitable, but yeah, she does focus a bit on it a bit too much. And it sounded to me like the solution post rep wasn't, um, to care less, to seek therapy, to reframe. It was to never look at anything ever and have it filtered through her team. And I still think to this day she does that. Yeah. And God, that's such a poignant, poignant point that you made on uh, 
the critics aren't there anymore, right? So her being like, I'm not doing any interviews for Reputation. Do you think that there were critics out there who were like, damn it, no, I wanted that interview. Like, no, if anything, no. it made them happy and it made us sad. <laughs> they were like tweeting, being like, I can't believe she, you know, w- is using the melody from I'm Too Sexy. They were like bitching about something else. <laughs> yes. You know, it's, they don't. So yeah, I think it's, it's a, but it's a very, back to our conversation about experience versus maintaining perspective it is absolutely valid that your experience would be to like work your ass off uh you know do two episodes a week also work another job be so burnt out and doing it anyway for the people that love you and to have a person that doesn't completely derail and de-energize you like that is fair that is normal that is valid but yeah you have to be a little strategic in how you share those sentiments to not make other people feel underappreciated and 100%. I feel that all the time, every day, all day. Yeah, that's when the journal gets like a real freaking entry from me. And then you turn on the mic, hello, hello, we're going to have fun for the next hour. Damn it. It's, it is, it's hard to transcend your experience. And I think like songwriting is kind of nice because you have kind of a layer or filter where you can express the, di- the dimensions and extremes of your life without people calling you like petty or lacking perspective or whiny or like whatever it is but I do feel it's hard I I just definitely feel the um tension that exists like there's just no right way to be as especially a woman there's no perfect way to be people have a lot to say about how you talk what you say what the type of like the relative importance of the type of topics you choose to consume and it, it is exhausting to be on the receiving end of it and it's hard to sometimes take a deep breath and be like, this is not everyone else's experience. And my job is to represent them, not me. Yeah. And I think something, you know, I'm sure Taylor feels this way. I'm sure we felt this way before, too. When you do see criticism about yourself, it's always like, ooh, is one person saying this and they're the voice of 50 silent oh, totally. people? <laughs> or is this just the loudest, most unhinged voice ever and the opinion <laughs> doesn't matter or, like, doesn't matter? But... Who knows? Also, Taylor gets criticism from, like, people on Twitter and then also, like, I don't know, Rolling Stones critics and things like that. So I'm sure that's different because I don't think anyone's ever from the New York Times has been like, this podcast sucks ass. I'd be like, what? <laughs> hey, what the heck? Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd feel so like that's brutal. I want to tell you about every plate. I had always been curious about different meal kits, just the concept of them. You know, I'd seen them around and I'd wondered, A, which one should I pick? And B, would I even be into this? I find myself loving every plate for a reason that I don't hear most people talking about, which is I am cooking for one a lot of times. And if I want to try out a fun new recipe and it needs a dollop of mustard, I don't want to have to buy an $8 thing of mustard that I might not ever use again. So I love meal kits for the way that they provide exactly the right amount of ingredients that you need for every meal. And what sets every plate apart from any other meal kit is that they are the lowest price point out of any meal kit you're basically ever going to find. I remember thinking that meal kits were going to be expensive, but now I'm convinced that you can really have delicious meals at a much lower price. So you can get your first box for just $1.49 per meal if you go to everyplate.com and you enter code fluently149. That's everyplate.com and you enter code fluently149. Okay, can I ask you a question? Yeah. My friend Sammy thinks that um, 
and this is maybe like common knowledge in the blind item world that like the weird marketing agency from the UK that posted the private jet ranking was some like Chris Jenner uh, effort. Do you think that? Because uh, it was right after Kylie got called out. Blind items don't say that it was Chris Jenner, but I think it's a popular internet rumor, and I wouldn't be surprised if like someone behind the scenes was sending that in. Um, and you have to admit, God did it work. But I would also think too, Taylor Swift was number one far and away, right? Like I think there were some guy. I think Steven Spielberg was under her, like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. So it was like her, and then maybe six people before it got to the Kardashians. But Taylor Swift was like double the number right. two person. So I, it sounds like it was Kardashians because it's like, oh, Kylie's bad, but Taylor's worse. And instead it was right. like, no, Taylor's worse than everyone by like a factor of a lot. So I think that could have just been, there's also, it's interesting how there is that trend of celebrity jet trackers and Elon Musk being furious that it exists. And it's mm-hmm. just like funny. It's like, oh, wow, you have these, you know, million dollar machines that take you anywhere and pollute the environment, but you get mad when we track them. <laughs> like... I know. It's so <laughs> stupid. The I know. And the other thing I wanted to ask you is your feed like inundated with Gaylor content. It is. And it, do I, you I talk s- about that on your podcast? Oh, big time. And now I'm kind okay. of like, maybe we shouldn't have because I feel like it's getting out of hand. I, I saw what you put on your Instagram story the other day and I so agree like I got into the whole Gaylor thing really when I saw Taylor Swift hanging out with Carly Kloss and I was like I think I've seen this film before in my own life (laughs) um I was like oh seems a little bit familiar and then you know of course there's the master posts and things like that and for me it was also the lyrics I'm like Taylor Swift is a smart girl if she has all these songs about if society found our love, it would be yes. ruined and people can't find out. If they find out, we're ruined. And some people could be like, oh, that's about the paparazzi finding no. out your relationship. She's a smart girl. Why would half of her discography be about the paps finding your relationship? Um, so to me, yeah, just Dancing all those... with our hands tied is not about a heterosexual. There's just no way in my world it would be about I don't d- want yeah, like the a best deep, deep fears that the world would divide us. Yeah, reputation is just that is is the wild card for me. Where I was yes. like, I think you're trying. If you don't see queer undertones in this, you're trying hard not to. But the other albums and the and her being with Joe for, I I think you actually. Oh, now I'm really okay. You did say this recently that um, the the part that turns me off and the reason I just never talk about it is because I don't like when people say that Joe's a beard or the relationship isn't real because that gets into a place of like so she does this documentary and she says she's in love and explains why she wants to keep it private and like she's very clearly in this relationship I can't imagine how crazy I would feel if my fans were like you're lying you're lying like there was weirdness about Hiddleston there was weirdness about Calvin Harris I don't even think she would deny that but I think this is quite real and like I want to be respectful as a human and I think that that's where I got really turned off and just stopped talking about it when people when they clearly weren't friends anymore her and Carly when she got married had a baby and I was like I just don't what this is such old news this is so 2014 like why are we still talking about Carly a hundred percent and I think maybe because of TikTok, the community's gotten a lot bigger. And I've just been seeing like the craziest videos coming up, even with um the, the title that she released last night, Mastermind. I saw people being like, so gay. 
I'm like, what's <laughs> gay about mastermind? I'm like, we're taking it too far. There are some things, you know, I don't want you like a best friend. She's not singing about Ed Sheeran, folks, you know, like who's her male best friend that she's hanging out with all the time. I've never right. seen him. Um, but can it be like chill that you explore your sexuality or you hook up with your friend or like, I think that the attention drawn to it is like the heart of the problem. Yeah. And anyone who talks in absolutes too. And I think of this too, like some people get so mad at me with blind items and I'm like, I think it's more tell like I talk about blind items and I never judge people because I assume that these could all be rumors and fiction until one day they come true. And then we're like, Ooh, point one for blind item. Um, but yeah, some people get so mad and I'm like, you don't know if she's married to Joe. You don't know if she's gay. You don't know if she's still a virgin and all of this weird stuff. She is a stranger. So like, so long as it is a fun way to listen to her music and over happy hour with friends, you guys talk about theories, that's cool. But I think if you're dedicating hours to your life to like, I'm gonna die on my hill that this is happening. It's like, ooh, we gotta like, we gotta get some hobbies, you know? I, I. I fell during the lover era. I thought there, there's never, I don't know if you were deep in it then, but like oh, there was I've, never yeah. a time that it would have made more sense to come out than you need to calm down America. And it never <laughs> happened. And then after that, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just well, going to enjoy the music. That's also why I think too, like it's the biggest sign. Oh, is Taylor Swift a little bit queer or fully queer in some way? Yes, because she only speaks out about issues that affect her, which are women's issues and LGBTQ issues. So, like, that's the biggest marker is the fact that wow, that's wow, what wow, she decided. Wow, 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 That's a great point. Yeah, because, like, why would <laughs> – when has Taylor selflessly been like, you know what? Flint, Michigan, and the water. It's like – it's not right. – no, it's only stuff that affects her. And, um and also, if she is straight, that music video is a hate crime. She's, like, pushing queer people out of the way so she can take center in the video. It's like, if she's straight, the video is not good. <laughs> but so don't you think be. there's something so fascinating about how she does enough that it could be true but says enough so it could be false? Yeah, because people have quotes on – so the the Gaylers have the quote where she said, gay pride makes me me. And then the Hetlers have the quote where she said – I didn't realize until recently that I could advocate for a community I'm not a part of. And these two vague quotes just go to head in the battle dome and each person's like, she literally said she's gay. She literally said she's straight. And like, she's never said anything either way. And and I think that is where she does know what she's doing. Not necessarily that she would deliberately queer bait, but like, I, well, I if felt Jimmy and Georgia upset her enough to tweet, she could definitely right. tweet about this. She could have, yes, they're, they're endless. And she did shut it down after Kissgate or whatever. And yes. I think people really hold on to that. But that was one of the first and only times she really said anything. And um, I felt the same way watching her at TIFF uh, say the all too well scarf was a metaphor. She said enough to imply that it could be virginity, but not enough to definitively confirm it. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought that I'm like, she just still knows how to play this game very well, where she says enough to get us talking, but not enough that would ever like condemn or pigeonhole her into one thing definitively being true. It's always flexible enough where the discourse will breathe yes. and it makes her relevant. 100%, 100%, because I think these, I just did an episode that's going to be uh, Patreon soon on, on the whole Larry theory, and that, because, mm -hmm. you know, I've 
I've heard whispers of Larry, but never done a deep dive into it. And the girl, Katie, that I was talking to was like, well, they've never tweeted anything about it. Like, it would be very easy. It's been 10 years. Like, I think, like, Louis said one tweet about um, something being bullshit. And then it's like, but in different interviews where they bring it up, like, you just have to wonder, are they not saying something on purpose? Because they know, oh, maybe this is like 8% of my fan base. Well, that's the other thing, too, per the FYP of it all. I remember in the Lover era talking to, like, friends who were casual fans being like, well, she's obviously, you know, making a statement or not coming out, but, like, saying I'm a part of this. And they were like, what are you talking about? She's just like, it's like, it's like you going to a pride parade. And I was like, oh, I don't see it that way. And then you realize that you are part of a narrow community that sees everything through this lens. But I will say the past few months the mainstreamification of Gaylor is surprising to me to the point where Rolling Stone would be writing about it, um, and it which is did, just different. And then she did an exclusive photo with Rolling Stone, so it's not like that relationship has been severed since the article. Right, right. So I guess I I'm always know. just kind of wondering why it can't be casual. Like, I feel like Harry Styles' sexuality is a, is casual. Like, it's, you know, like the the at least my perception as a casual fan, because I'm not like a diehard Harry Styles fan, but as a a passerby, it just seems like there's an accepted level of fluidity. No? Is that like the wrong take? Well, that's what I would say. Do you, have you heard the theory that she was going to come out during Lover? No. So... I mean, I thought she would, but I haven't heard of why people think she wouldn't have. Yeah, so that's kind of, you know, the the vibes, right? Me out now. (laughs) and um the you need to calm down music video but there was this theory and some blind items also allude to it that she was going to come out as sexually fluid now that i don't know if i believe because i think taylor swift wouldn't use a label that has sexually in it but who knows but that she was going to come out as that during lover but that was when her masters got taken from her and you know that the minute taylor swift would ever come out as fluid everyone's going to flock to albums one, two, three, all of the old ones and listen to them with an ear open to think, what if this is about a girl? And that would just mean that Scooter would be making millions of dollars from people re-listening to this. So I think Mm. if she ever does make a statement about her sexuality, she's not going to do it until all of those re-records are happening. Because, you know, even if I wasn't a fan, I'd be creepy enough to be like, oh my God, Taylor Swift said that she's queer. Let me go listen to Shoulda Said No and imagine if she was singing it about a girl and see if this lines up and get all detective-y. I mean, if I wanted to tinfoil hat, I would say she released her two straightest albums, or oh. re-records. Oh, that's true. I thought you were going to say um, Folklore and Evermore, and I'm like, I think that there are some very gay ones on there. No, I think Fearless was like very young, high school boy crazy, and I think and I think Red was very... Uh, like I know people have different things to say but I think the Jake G thing was very real to her big age gap he was such a big celebrity she felt inferior like I do think the red experience was very real to her but um yeah I mean with that knowledge would people view speak now differently for sure would people view reputation differently like we already did like yeah if you listen to reputation through that lens it's impossible not to see it and those albums are the bit right like speak now and the debut album didn't really have any songs that super made it to the radio hits. When people think of her, they think of We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together, Love Story. They do think of hits off of those first two albums. So, yeah, strap that tinfoil hat on. Mine's already to the moon. <laughs> oh, I know. And it's like this weird thing where 
the yeah 1989 when you think of like even just opening with welcome to new york boys and boys and girls and girls ending with the bonus of wonderland that was kind of just like a start of a little bit more of transparency if you're like well versed in that world um but i get why people don't see it if they're not familiar with it and all the while i feel so guilty and weird speculating about somebody's sexuality but then part of me feels like well, it's also totally fair to take any narrative from any lyrics because if you believe love is love, then you're if you see this song as representing you through the lens of being a queer woman, like you should be able to observe and own that narrative and not have people criticize you for it. Yeah. But you don't want to out people. You know, it's I think I think it's one of the most to use an appropriate word, delicate conversations that I never know how to handle publicly. But it's hard to, and I dropped it for a while, but at this point it's like everywhere. But I don't know if it's everywhere or just on my For You page. I think, think and one day I want to set up like a table on the West Side Highway and just pull people as they go by and be like, have you heard the theory that Taylor Swift could be queer? Just like man on the street and be like, I just want to get the actual numbers because like I'm going crazy. (laughs) My professional opinion is that that is a brilliant show concept that you should entertain because... I think that we do not know the ins- like relative insularity of our worlds at all. And yeah. I think it might shock people. I and I think it would. it would help how people politically identify because you're like, you know, people d- in major urban areas, it's like you don't know a single Trumper. And yeah. then you hear how over half the country voted for him. You're like, huh? Yeah. It's, it's good for us to be aware. To like Illinois. <laughs> and we're like, now we ask people here what they think about yes. Taylor Swift and Garland. I'll be your Illinois branch. <laughs> there we go. I just have one last question here for you. This is something I get deeply paranoid about. Do you ever fear that Taylor will hear you saying something negative about her and the chance of a secret session is off the table? <laughs> Okay, so at first, maybe. Um, at this point, I don't think a secret session serves me because, like, I almost think to do our our job, we need a level of separation. Mm, yes, yeah. Um, like, I don't want to be Icarus flying too close to the one or whatever. Like, I don't want to be, like, a person that's so – that has one foot in her favor or – approval that at the expense of my honesty and um as much as i'd love as a person not a podcaster to experience a secret session i don't think a anybody with any sort of medium like this would ever be invited (laughs) but if i was i would be the type of person to like steal a tiny soap from her bathroom you know like if she has any awareness of me she knows not to trust me and i love her and i i probably always will but i also don't think that like I think that the the blessing and curse of a secret session is that people are so envious of it, they resent it. Yeah. And, I, and, and I don't want that for me or my content because I want to be able to speak about it objectively. And if she acknowledged me, I might be worse at my job. What yeah. do you think? I would agree with you on that. It makes me feel better about knowing that I literally will never, ever get invited. I also think, you know, maybe they'll never probably never happen again i do find it cuckoo that she took the top 0.1 percent of fans and invited them to my house i always say if i was her i would take those top 0.1 percent and get a restraining order against all of them because <laughs> i am top 10 percent and i'm psycho for her like i'm full-on psycho i would be stealing pieces of her hair on the floor <laughs> like like crazy crazy town so 
I don't know. They must have done some good vetting and had security, but I'm just like, I know how creepy I would be in that house, and I know that I'm not the top 1% of her fans. Right. So I can't even fathom what, like, the top, top, most dedicated people were doing. Like, I would be scared of them. (laughs) Well, isn't there, like, an element of evil genius, too, to rewarding people that are unequivocally positive about you? And they also all had, like, massive Twitter or Tumblr followings. It is is a great marketing little scheme, yeah. It's brilliant, and, like, but, yeah, I'm with you. I think sometimes the biggest fans are the ones you need to, like, be a little bit mindful of. But I also would ask you, too, though, especially with the knowledge that, like, you're a four because we're putting ourselves in boxes, I have this – I'm a fan, but not a fangirl. Like, if I'm in a situation where I'm – amazed and astounded by somebody's presence I almost shut down like I don't really I I don't physically respond I don't cry I don't over I'm just kind of like I almost act like I don't care is my response because I don't I think that I malfunction so if I was in Taylor Swift's house smelling a Byredo candle and eating her cookies I think I my I'd be missed I'd short circuit. Like, I just wouldn't be. Well, also the whole time, I wouldn't even be having fun because the whole time I would be like, I want her to like me. And it would be like, yes. dude, she's not going to like you or hang out with you after this. So you might as well have fun with the other people and just listen to the music. But the whole time I would be like, it would be like the worst first date ever where I would be like, I need to like smile and nod at everything because like we could be friends. And it's like, no, no, we won't. Here's I, I've, the amount of times I've cosplayed this in my head of what it would feel like to be at a secret <laughs> session. And I'm like, we would be older probably than most of the people. A hundred percent. I'm and like, a you lot of see the fanfare would be embarrassing. Yes, it'd be like a little <laughs> embarrassing. Like sometimes when I watch people fawn over somebody, I'm like, oh, stop. Um, so yeah, when I say I've thought about it, I have, but I also. Yeah, is my logic a coping mechanism? Probably, maybe. Yes. But I'll, I, it's like, I think sometimes I wish that, like, if she was going to recognize people that talk about her a lot, I think think a fun thing to do would be, like, to invite them to shows, but mm-hmm. not to meet her. Like, I, it would be nice if my seats weren't so bad at the concerts, because I do devote a lot of airtime to her. But that's yeah. the only thing I would uh, ever really be excited for. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great compromise. Or, like, a little bit of free merch, because, like, I don't think I would be spending $60 on a pool floaty, but if I got one for free, I would certainly Promote love the it. the hell out of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'd even get one of those keychains. I'd be like, dingle, dingle, all my way to picking up my birth control. I'd be like, I don't even care. <laughs> Fuck the patriarchy. Ever heard of it? <laughs> Fuck the patriarchy. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> all right, well, thank you so, so much for coming on. Also... Can you tease a little bit or tell anyone about the book that I know that you're working on? Yes. Um, I'm writing a book about the female millennial zeitgeist, and it's kind of in an effort to speak from experience of the things that I always wanted to celebrate but felt I had to downplay in the presence of a lot of people, especially men, commenting on their frivolity Mm. and uh, talking about the things that shaped us in popular culture, in our interpersonal culture, in just the culture of things from like how women were spoken about in the 90s to evolving to the manic pixie dream girl to the not like other girls to the pick me girl. It's like speaking of boxes it's like I think we all spent so long trying to find the one we fit in we never even like defined ourselves on our own terms and a lot of older millennial women now look back on their stories and experiences and are are completely reframing the way they experienced everything 
because we grew up in a culture of aggressive sameness. And now we live in a world that celebrates people who are unique. And where, where does that leave us and how to feel about ourselves? And um, I think we all contain a lot of multitudes and uh, we don't always get to celebrate them. And especially really smart, sharp women that have a lot of sophisticated interests in social causes, people are quick to write that off if you like pop culture. And I just, yeah. it's kind of a manifesto of like, millennials aren't necessarily what they, you say they are and also like what you like. And these are all of the things that happen that might make us a product of our time. And you should go easier on yourself as a result. Yeah, the way you talk about all those different stereotypes. Do you ever watch those YouTube videos from the channel The Take? No. Oh, my God. They talk about different characters. So the Manic Pixie Dream Girl or, like, the feisty Latina character or um, things like that. You know, the, the popular jock or the mean girl. And they talk about these characters in all these different movies and TV shows and what they actually represent. I'm curious, like, is there one trope that you really, really, like, when I see Manic Pixie Dream Girl, I'm like, here, strap, strap me in. I'm ready for this one. I, <laughs> I relate to it. Is there a certain trope where you're like, oh, I always thought of myself as this? I think that going through my life, I always felt so average and uninteresting that I was always chasing Even as a, a theme four? that... So that's what's so hard to explain. I felt like I, I, like a lot of people, I feel this way. You have this complex inner world in your girlhood, but you're a product of your environment and, and you feel the need to adapt to the least common denominator of what's socially acceptable. And whatever that was at the time is what I did. Yeah. So what, and where that net out once I got older was like, I've always tried on different versions of myself for size to get the pre-approval of society that I already could anticipate instead of just like existed as I was. And so it's kind of like a, if you, if you and your heart fall into a trope, great, but it's kind of an effort to think of yourself outside of the boxes, though I'd argue that we can't be criticized for how we decorate them because we never put ourselves in them to begin with. So whatever, it's kind of like, just exist. Like I'm just, I'm, I think the self-surveillance of women is exhausting and tremendous. And I don't care if you fall into a trope and are the biggest cliche in the world and are at a pumpkin patch with a pumpkin spice latte and an Ugg boot and a North Face Denali. Live your truth. And so should the person that rages against all of that. Like, I don't care. The ways we respond to and judge each other is a product of misogyny. And the only real protest is to exist. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm trying to, like, think through my life and talk through. And, um, like, it is hard when you're indoctrinated with, like, 90s and 2000s media that spoke about women in a way that's horrendous. So much. So I look back on so many things, even just, like, 10, 15 years ago, and I'm like, that would never fly today. And it's only 10 years have gone by. I know. I mean... To be like in high school and college when every single cover of every tabloid was about if you are overweight, underweight, feuding with a friend, got broken up with or bleary eyed, you know, tumbling out of Ledoux, those were th- that's what I thought my options were as a woman. And then it was like, are you a pear or an apple? You're only <laughs> pick one. You only get one. I fruit. could never figure out my goddamn body type <laughs> or my face shape. I spent so much being like, is it heart, oblong, oval? What are we working with here? What are we working with here? Just like desperate to try to find. I'll be like, maybe if I find my color season, then like everything will snap into place. And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> right. Totally. And like. I, I feel very strongly about both um, rejecting the constant insistence by society of us to modify, self-improve, 
but also if that's something that brings you joy and you genuinely like, like we're a product of our environments and like, that's okay too. I just think the reason my career will probably never take off is because I'm just, I'm not a person with hot takes. I, I, I live in the gray and, and that's not popular. <laughs> so. No, it should be though. I wish, like, I always wished growing up too. like, I feel like in, I remember clicking through news channels during COVID and based on the politics of the news channel, you were getting two completely different stories. And I'm like, I know it doesn't make money to like be in the middle and talk about both sides and how this could be true, but this could also be true, but this came out. So who knows? I'm like, there's no money to be made from that. But like, I do think so many people are like, well, I think a little bit of this, but also a little bit of that, but I could see it going this way. And it doesn't, you know, like the most controversial channels take off because they go viral and they're psycho. But like, I don't know, people just thoughtfully pondering things. Like, I do think that there's a market there. I hope at least. And what I've found is that it's the nicest market there is to have as an audience because once you kind of stop obsessing over growth and popularity and you like do what you like and what comes naturally to you, I found that in just going hard for the gray, I feel two ways, we contain multitudes, it it kind of naturally casts off people that want you to have hot takes who would also have a hot take about you and leaves you with a group of people that are pretty understanding about the nuance that exists within the human experience. So I'm all about, like, let's normalize a medium amount of success. Like, I don't need to be the biggest podcaster. (laughs) I love, yeah, on my vision board, I'm like straight and narrow. Nothing too crazy. (laughs) That's the vision. Warm airport to Sani. I'll take it if it's there. (laughs) It's not my number one. And this book is... Are you, is it going to be co- coming out at midnight sometime soon? Sometime? I don't have a release date yet. I'm still like in the thick of writing and editing it. Um, takes a long time. Didn't know. Uh, this is my f- f- second book, but first long form one. And it's taking me a while because I want to get it right. But all the while, per our conversation, it's very hard to freeze your opinions as finite takes, right? Yeah. In, two, in 2017, I wrote, would have written a book being like, hustle, grind, girl boss, you know, and I've changed. So it's kind of a crazy experience. It's like a kind of a time capsule that I might change my mind about. But yeah, so it'll come out sometime late next year. Um, I'll, if you'll let me come back on, uh, yeah. we'll talk more about it. And you'll have to come on my podcast sometime too. You were so nice to have me. I love your work. I love women who are smart and talk about things and use the social channels that can objectify us to inject nuance and thoughtfulness and and analysis in the world and I think you're awesome well I like Amir right back at you I'm so happy that we were able to talk and I'm just like a massive fan of your podcast it's just it's always so thoughtful it's always so clever and I mean I am a millennial so yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly all right thank you so much for coming on thanks Shannon take care 